0: You know, I encourage you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We've been going through this sermon series called, called Upside Down. And I haven't preached in four weeks, so I'm, I'm chomping at the bit just a little bit to get into this, and uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a wild four weeks since I last preached, and uh, my wife and I were blessed every other year we take a vacation, just the two of us. And we took a cruise to Alaska, and it was a, it was a great time. And sh- we got to reconnect with some friends, and that was really good as well. And you know what, church, if it wasn't for the calling of God, Alaska would be calling me there. I love it. But um, today's message is called a Radical Change. Remember in the 80s, it, they used that term radical, and it, it, it didn't take on the meaning that it actually truly has. The idea of something being radical is a complete about face, a complete turning, something totally different, something abnormal. It speaks of, it speaks of something almost outlandish, something that is um, very different, and if I was examining my life, you might say, uh, he hasn't changed too much from when he was a kid. You might not see some differences. I, obviously, I see those differences. But if I were to look over the span of my lifetime, I'd say that I have not been an overall good guy. Now, some of you might step back and be like, whoa, wait a second. You're saying you're a bad guy? You're saying you're not an overall good guy, then you must be a bad guy. And it's so easy for us as people that you might look at someone, despite whether or not they're serving God, and you might say, now there's a good person. We say those things all the time. But God actually teaches in his word, and I want you to grab a hold of this this morning. God teaches in his word that only he is good and all sources of goodness come from him are you hearing me listen to mark 10:18 it says why do you call me good jesus asked only god is truly good Now, I'd like to say Jesus as part of the Godhead is good, but he, in, in fully God and fully man, he was teaching man a lesson in what it means to be bad or good. In fact, there was one time Jesus was instructing people, talking about giving good gifts to your children, and he says, even you being evil Imagine Jesus is speaking to you. You're following him. You're a regular part of his ministry. And you're thinking, man, I'm making some pretty good decisions. I'm following a good guy. I'm a good person. Everything's going well. And Jesus says, hey, even you being evil know how to give good gifts. All of a sudden you're like, well, wait a second. I feel attacked here. But Jesus, let's, let's, let's take that translation and let's change it a little bit. And what we could say is, even you who are sinful... Raise your hand if you're a sinner in this place this morning. Okay, so we're all acknowledging that we're sinners. So then we all have to acknowledge that we're not good. Right? Might even say evil. And in my life, To get to that transitional point. It was the transformational work of Jesus Christ that changed me into becoming more like him. You understand that the the more I sought him, the more I changed, and the more I still am changing, that I am not like my old self. I am being remolded, recreated into something that mirrors a lot more of who Jesus is. So... God's Word and the character of Christ compels us that the more we seek Him, the more we change, and the more of our old lifestyle is turned over and changed into something that mirrors more of what God's Word teaches. Are you guys hearing me this morning? So we're going to pick up a scripture for today, and it's found in Luke chapter 6. We're just going to read three verses, verses 43 through 45. Luke 6, 43 through 45. If you need to follow along, we're going to have it up on the screen. I read out of the New Living Translation. You can also find that in an electronic Bible if you need to. But let's read Luke chapter 6, 43 through 45. It says, A good tree. Everyone say, A good tree. tree. Can't produce bad fruit. Everyone say, Bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And God, the words that you have spoken today, I believe they do not return void. And God, I believe that you are still working, you are still stirring in hearts this morning. And God, I pray that those whom you have deemed God that you've called out for change, that, Lord, they're compelled by your word this morning, your good word. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I think about this, a tree and its fruit, and this idea of good versus bad fruit. Do you know that if you were lost in the wilderness, there are certain things that look like fruit that you are not to pick and eat? You are not to pick and eat those things, or you might die Right? And so Jesus is using this concept of this good and bad fruit in this idea of this good versus bad, or we can say good versus evil. But as we have already touched on, Jesus has made the statement that only God is good. So then there's this age old question that man is always dealing with Is man inherently good? Or is man inherently evil? My answer is this. We are born into sin. Amen? We are born into sin, and only God is good. So we are inherently, as a byproduct of human nature, we are evil. So I want you to remember this critical truth. Only God is perfect. Amen? Only God is perfect. Goodness flows from the throne of God. So, as it might be a little tough for you to swallow this morning, in your natural state, you are of evil or sinful. You hearing me? So, I want to get to the root of what Jesus is really teaching on here in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. He is asking the question, what is the substance your life produces? Is it good or is it bad fruit? What is your substance? And so you might be looking at your life and you are proud of the kids that you have created or brought into this world. You might be proud at the success of your job. But even in those things, that doesn't speak to what Jesus means by good fruit. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he speaks about bearing fruit, and then he goes on to list nine character traits that flow from the Spirit of God that can transform us. And all of these fruits, what we learn is they are beneficial for the kingdom of God or, should we say, eternity. So the opposite result would be that if we are producing things in our life that do not lead to or point to the kingdom of God, then it is bad fruit. It doesn't bear the things of God. Are you hearing me again, church? And so I want to talk for just a brief moment on the different kinds of fruit in your life. Do you and I know that the way we choose to live will yield different eternal results? I'm going to say that again. The way that we choose to live will yield different eternal results. You can live in a manner that can take you to hell. You can live in a manner that can get you to heaven. And you might get to heaven by the skin of your teeth, but you could also live in a manner that produces good fruit. And so not only are you living in a manner where you get to heaven, but you are living in a manner where others around you see the glory of God. And others around you are compelled to change as well. That's the kind of person I want to be. And hopefully you hear that and you say, Pastor, that is the kind of person that I want to be. And so, for instance, I was ingrained growing up to have a solid work ethic. Wow, someone's busy. That means that if I want to have a solid work ethic, I only call in sick if I'm really sick. You guys hearing me? I just stepped on some toes, I have a feeling. When I am working, I am giving a hundred percent of myself. When I'm working, I am not going to take advantage of who I am working for. I'm going to be honest in my work. Now, something that was not ingrained in me is that money is the everything that will make me happy. That wasn't ingrained in me. Yet, I've worked with many people over the course of my life that their primary motivator is to make more money. And now, you might be sitting here and thinking, Pastor, there's nothing wrong with that. But here is the key in all this, that God teaches us that if we are driven by the things of this world, then we are of the world, not of him. Listen to Romans 12.2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform. Everyone say transform. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You notice there's a process here that we read about in Romans twelve two. Listen to this process again. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's not, okay, God, teach me now your will. Show me you are good, pleasing, and perfect, and then I'll be changed. We get those things out of order and actually All these kind of thoughts and what drive us and what compel us and draw us to the world are things like, I want to live my best life. And so when we choose to live our best life, our focus is not on eternal things, and that cannot honor God. Are you hearing me? And so there are many things in our life that cannot honor God. And the first thing is obvious, sin, right? We can all acknowledge that sin can't can't honor God. But what if, what if we are just driven to live our best life? What if we seek to make our own name great? Or just simply make the most of this world? then the danger, the, 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 the fine line that you and I walk is we risk not producing a substance in our life that speaks to who God is and what he offers, which is everlasting life. And I am telling you, your life speaks to what you value the most. Your life speaks to it. So I want to ask you a question today. And I want to hear the response, because I know what the answer is going to be. Do you truly believe in heaven? Yes, so, so we all gather here and we say yes to that answer. And here's the thing though, when I ask that question, I don't mean do you read the Bible and you're like, yes, pastor, or do you trust that heaven is real and you're like, of course I do, pastor. The question is, do you live your life? Listen to this, do you live your life that at your core, do you believe that heaven is awaiting for you if you follow God? That's the kind of question I'm asking, where you believe that if you honor God with your life, if you renounce sin, if you follow Jesus Christ, that there's going to be, one day you're going to be called to eternity and there's going to be no more sickness, no more pain. Then you're going to have this ultimate connection with your creator, seeing him in glory where you'll, you'll no longer have a care in the world. And all of a sudden, God's provision, it abounds in perfection everywhere you look. Do you believe that the only way you can get to God is through Jesus Christ? So therefore, it is in Jesus that you have an eternal hope. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the message of Jesus Christ, that he died for all of us? He died for everybody. And all of a sudden, now your mission for this life is to spread that message contained in you. And that's the only chance some people might have from hearing it. Do you live your life like that? If you do all that, then you believe in heaven. If not, for many, it's something that you say, yeah, 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 I I believe it. But some might be, you know, I don't quite get it. It, The Bible, sometimes it, it seems like this fairy tale. It seems like this thing that's unreal, impossible to grab a hold of. And I'm telling you, Christ has more work to do if you're not there yet. Christ has more work to do. Because if you are still drawn to things like fear, money, worldly motivators, I believe there is still a transformational work God wants to do. And so Jesus in our main text today, he says in verse 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. You hear that? The treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So, what is in your treasury? What is in your treasury? See, God is looking, He's looking at your substance, and He is speaking to you what is it that is contained inside of you? I want to get down to what is it that is contained inside of you. So imagine right now everything that is contained inside of you, it was spilled out for everyone to see. Everyone in this room could see what is contained inside of you. So in public view, what you watch in the privacy of your own home is in view for everyone to see. The websites you visit or apps you have on your phone. Every Amazon order you have ever received. How you treat people, whether it is the waiter or waitress at a restaurant where you're not getting good service, your coworkers, your children, the music you listen to, the things that entertain you, the things that frustrate you, whatever it is you choose to indulge in is in plain view for everyone to see. And so these things are spilled out and you're looking at everything. And I ask, is there anything you're ashamed of? Is there anything you hope others don't see? See, let me tell you, people in church are better at this than most because what we do so well is making our private lives private and our public lives public. Are you guys hearing me today? I know you might not like it, but I want to make sure that you're hearing me. Because church, here's the reality, and this is the thing that as much as we squirm at hearing this, we can't escape that God sees all. He sees all. Listen to Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24. He says, am I a God who is only close at hand, says the Lord? No, I am far away at the same time. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and the earth, says the Lord. Then Proverbs fifteen three it says, The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. See, here's the reality. God sees us even in the secret, not because he is spying, not because his mission is to judge you, but because he truly cares about you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to elbow the person next to you. Make sure they're awake. Okay? Reach out as far as you have to. I want you to sit up straight right now. I want you to listen to this. Okay? This is key for me. There are so many people that don't like hearing this message. But at the same time, The same people that don't like hearing this message are insecure enough in their relationships that you demand to see your other's, your significant other's location on their phone and share it with you where they're at at all times. Right? We care enough about our kids that you might regularly check their phones to see who they have been talking to, what websites they have been visiting. And I am telling you that if you are parents, you should know what's contained on their phones, right? You should. You should know what's inside their bedroom. Their iPad, their computer. Proverbs 22.6 says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. And here's the thing. Here's the key, church. I, I'm telling you, I am not trying to protect My my kids' lives so much that they don't experience the world's hurts and pains. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. I am just trying to protect my kids from living a life of regret. Don't get me wrong. I don't expect them to be perfect. In fact, I believe that kids raised in church, albeit small, have a moment in their life where they all step away from God in one place one way or another to see what the world offers. I want my kids to experience pain from the world. I want them to see that the world hurts. In fact, Gabe, Gabe's one of my rule followers in the house. One day I said, why don't you just go get into some trouble? Like, please, I need to teach you a lesson. You can't keep teaching me lessons, that's a problem. But church, if we desire to have that kind of view into our kids' lives, into our spouses' lives, why can't we understand that God's children should expect the same from Him to the insight into our lives? And so there's a lot of you in here, we're talking about the treasury of your heart. Some of you have been investing your time, money, into the wrong things and so your treasury your treasure is in the wrong places in 2019 i became the director of move ministries and i inherited a problem that required a big decision right away like no one knew about this then all of a sudden i'm director and i find out about this huge issue And there were only three people in all of Open Bible that knew about it. And what happened was we owned property in Eugene, Oregon that was being leased to a company who parked their machinery on it. And they had wrote a letter, we're ending that lease. And they did it six months prior and no one had done anything about it. They were all just sitting on it. So we were receiving $3,300 a month by them leasing this property and that was income to build churches and all of a sudden that was ending. I heard about this and I kind of freaked out as you can imagine. And this was a two acre gravel lot in a commercial district and immediately I'm asked, like I, I take the job and immediately I'm asked, I'm told all this and I'm like, well what do you want to do? And so, long story short, we decided to sell it. And early speculation on the property was that it was worth about 250000 And I can tell you in about two months' time, we sold it for 465000 Now... Part of the agreement was that when we were donated that property, that if it was ever sold, the money would be invested and we could not collect on the principal, but we could collect on the interest and the capital gains. So all of a sudden, I had another big decision to make. How do you want to invest your money? And I'm looking at all this half a million dollars that all of a sudden now I'm responsible for, And I'm sure you know, right now is not a great time to be an investor. And I was told you can invest into high risk and there could be high reward. You could invest into a moderate risk and it has a potential for a good reward, not a high reward. Or you could do low risk. And so we sat down and we talked about the different investment options and who, would, who we'd be investing into and I went with a moderate risk and now we can think about the complication, especially in today's economy, of, of the risk of putting your money into a, that high risk, high reward. Those people have lost a lot of money over the past six, seven months. And it's a lot like gambling That if you get burned enough times, you might start changing how you invest your money going forward, right? Church, you have the ability to change the substance of the treasury of your heart. You have the ability to change how you're investing. And so what I am asking you to consider... Is choosing to make that change. Stop coming to church and just saying, God, move me. You're not gonna get the results you're looking for. But open up the door to allow God to change you. Because when you choose to follow Jesus Christ, you should be making a conscious decision I need him. I am going to put to death the life that I am living, and that God is going to breathe new life into me. See, we need to acknowledge the need to change, and that's the work that, that the salvation of Jesus Christ does is acknowledging we need to change, but then there's a work that needs to take place. I want you to listen to Ezekiel 36:22 through26. It says, therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. Church, we have brought shame upon God's holy name by the way we've lived. Amen? We've done it. God's own people have done that. And so what God says is, I will show you how great my name is the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Listen to this. So we can apply the context of understanding he's talking about Israel, bringing them back home. But listen to this true prophetic word that speaks over you and I today. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean." Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Church, I want you to acknowledge that God has created you for eternity. He wants to bring you home. He wants to bring you home, and He is offering you a new heart and a new spirit through His Son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the source for change in your life. See, I know many Christians that know Jesus, but like Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, verse 45, excuse me, it says, what you say flows from what is in your heart. You know, there's nothing that turns me off more than speaking to someone who claims Christ and obscenities just flow out of their mouth. Because it's revealing what's in their heart. It's not so much the words that are spoken. It's like, no, 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 I know what's going on there. There's something deeper going on that's a problem. Because so many Christians... We come into church, we hear the message, we want the payoff without putting in the work. See, God has paved the way for you to be transformed and to change, but your willingness and effort to change play a big role in that. It plays a big role, and it requires our effort. It requires us to remove sin from our lives, not just say, God, I hope you remove it, not just say, God, I'll stop doing it if you do this, this, and this. It's making that effort. And it's going to happen by God's Spirit and our effort. And I can prove this to you. Listen to 2 Peter 1, 5-8. Peter says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Church, God has made a way. It is up to us to respond. Are you hearing me? He's made that way. He's made it through Jesus Christ. And here's the thing that I want to establish: that when any time you come up to the altar, that transformational change, that transformational work, it is not this immediate, perfect work and instant change that you might be hoping for, but it is a lifetime of you striving out after Him. Who's ever been interested in running a marathon? Yeah. I've got a picture up here. There's a guy that decided to run a marathon. I knew this young lady that decided she was going to run a marathon because her mother ran marathons. And she was in good health. And so she decided she didn't need to train. For those who don't know, a marathon is 26.2 miles. And a good marathon time is about four and a half hours. And this young lady, as she is already fit, she shows up, she does her stretching, you know. She makes it to the finish line. But then she sits down. Her muscles have given up. That moment she rested, in fact, it stiffened up so bad that she couldn't walk for seven days. She was crying and upset, and she said, I I didn't think it would be this hard. I didn't think it would be this hard. Church, God's work of salvation, that in and of itself is miraculous. And some of you are hoping for this miraculous change. That change has already been done by God's Spirit. That miraculous work of salvation, that's already been done. You can feel him at work inside you, and it compels you to respond. And it's in the response that's hard work. I want you to listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter three, verses 12 through 14. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection You don't realize it, but you're in a marathon. And here's the reality. So many have come to know Christ, but you're not moving any closer to that finish line. You're not making the effort. And what we have to choose to do is as the Apostle Paul would say, is to strive for it, to go after it, to renounce sin to make every effort to read God's word daily, make the effort to pray to him, to give to him, to fast, make the effort to be regularly in the church, to be a part of those two or more gatherings where Jesus Christ is in the midst of those who gather, to make every effort to run from temptation. The time to exact change in your life is now. That requires action. Every time I performed a wedding, I remind people that what led them there to the altar was their love for one another. But that love is based out of the emotions we feel toward one another. Because what's going to happen is you're going to commit to that person, you're going to make a covenant before God with that person, and then the work of love begins. Because emotions will fade. But the work of love, that effort we put in, is what is going to make it thrive. It's the same thing with your relationship with God. You might be coming here for an emotional high, and to be honest with you, I'd rather not give you one. Because I want to see true transformation and true transformation doesn't just take place up here now that's a great action step stepping out and saying man I need to I need to get things straight it's a great action step but it happens when you leave this place and understand that your life the substance of your life is in full view of God requires radical change so I want every head in here to bow eyes to close and what I want to do is I want to invite our prayer altar team forward and what I want to do this morning is I want to give you opportunity You know what, what we we learn in James chapter five that there is great power in confession of sin. You know, as I said earlier, Christians do a good job of making their private life private and their public life public. But you know what? There is power in confessing things that we like to keep private. Because what I've learned is that sin, unconfessed, has power over you. Once it's confessed, it no longer holds dominion over you. And so you don't confess it so that others can go tell everyone what you've done. You confess it because you trust and know that the people you are confessing it to are also sinners. They're also people who are imperfect serving a perfect God who just desire to see the best in everyone. And our best is always going to be God. So if you're here today and say, Pastor, I need the Lord to do a transformational work. That is why these people are here at the altar to pray with you. What I encourage you to do right now, I want the whole body of Christ to stand. And as you're standing I want you to close your eyes I want you allow the Holy Spirit to speak and ask God to search your heart have I made every effort Ask God, am I bringing honor to your son with my life? Are there things that I need to release? Are there things that I need to remove? And as we sing out to him today, if the Holy Spirit prompts you, I encourage you to step out and respond. So let's sing out to him right now.
1: Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. We live for you.
0: If you need prayer,
1: would you come down? Jesus, the name above every other name, Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever be, we
0: live for you, oh, we live for you, now's your chance to make a time of action. Holy, there
1: is no one like You. There is a one beside You open up my eyes and all. Is not beside you Open up my eyes Class And lead me in your love to those
0: around. Church, give a hand clap of praise for the Lord this morning.